turn to a text this morning. I'm going to make reference to Genesis 18 and 22. Uh, you might read these chapters. We're talking about Abra- Abraham. Uh, amazing story. So I want you to get a specific situation in your mind that you're waiting for. What are you waiting for? Do you like to wait? I think I told you about the time I went to the doctor's office and and I sat in there and 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 I was getting more ticked off by the second. And uh, so finally I got up and I started to put my sweater back on. About that time he walked in. And so the next day when I was doing my devotions, I was praying about something and the Lord whispered in my heart, I know how long you'll wait for a doctor, how, will you, how long will you wait for me? Wait for a doctor for 45 minutes. <laughs> Got real impatient. When we're a little kid, we wait for Christmas, we wait for our driver's license, we wait for graduation, all those things. When we get a little bit older, we we wonder, will she ever notice me? Remember that? Will he ever notice me? And then when you get older yet, it's like, will these kids ever leave the house? Our oldest, uh, our middle daughter, Sonia, lived with us when she was, she had a little boy and she was in her 20s. And, and we, were, we were doing fine, but you know, it was time for Ginger and I just to have some time alone. And so she packed up her things, she was leaving, and it was a good situation. And as the garage door, she loaded up her car, backed out, and as the garage door was going down, we, we went like this, bye. <laughs> See you later, but not so long. Any parent understands that. They just keep coming back. So what are you waiting for? I bet you haven't waited as long as Abram did, 25 years. In the 18th and the 22nd chapters of Genesis, it uses the phrase that God tested Abram, Abraham. And I want to just give you a list of the difference between temptation that comes from Satan and tests that come from God, because sometimes we get those mixed up. Temptation is to break us down, tests are to build us up. Temptation is to bring out the worst in us, tests are to bring out the best in us. Temptation is to make us fall, testing is to help us stand. Temptation is to weaken us, testing is to strengthen us. Temptation is to tear down our faith, while testing is to build up our faith. Facing the same situation, depending upon how you look at it, it can be a negative thing or it can build you, make you stronger. So the first question I want to ask is, what are you looking forward to receiving? I think I'm finally at the place where I'm looking, I'm waiting for retirement. I was supposed to retire eight years ago, nine years ago, and I haven't made it yet. So I'm waiting for retirement. Will it ever come? You ever wait for something so long you start asking, will this ever happen? 
You know, is, is this ever gonna is this ever gonna take place? And you want to give up? I may have mentioned my two brothers. I received the Lord before either of my two brothers did. They were both older than I am. And my my middle brother, Marlon, I you know, we were fairly not poor, but we didn't have much. And so Marlon and I always slept in the same bedroom, most of the time slept in the same bed until we were in high school. And he was a he was a rounder and a drinker and having a big time he thought. And I remember praying for him and praying for God's protection be upon him. And I prayed for him for oh gosh. Must have been 30 years. Finally, he received the Lord. The last 10 years of his life, he served the Lord. We went to lunch every month and or breakfast every month. My oldest brother, so funny, he was in his 60s, I think, when my mom was on her deathbed. And when he walked in the room, she started preaching to him. And it made me really uncomfortable. I, I, I didn't know how appropriate it was, but she's dying. She's going to get the last word in. <laughs> and I prayed for him for a number of years after that, and finally he received the Lord too. There would have been times when I thought it's never going to happen. It's too late. Abraham, one of the major lessons of Abraham's life is it's never too late. He waited for 25 years. So the... Next statement on your outline is, will you trust God when circumstances say it's too late? Now this story of, of Abraham in the 12th chapter is so funny to me. Because three men, Abraham's sitting out in front of his tent. And three men are moving toward him. It turns out that those men, two of them are angels, and one of them is the angel of the Lord. And anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament... It's always, it's always Jesus. It's always the Lord. And we know in that chapter because it goes back and forth between calling him an angel of the Lord and calling him the Lord. So <clears throat> these three men come and they said, well, where's your wife Sarah? Well, she's in the tent. He said, well, Sarah's going to have a baby this time next year. And you got to think about that in the context of where they are. Abraham's 99 years old and Sarah's 89 years old. So, what would you what would you do? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're 89. Are you 89 yet? What's that? How old are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> How old are you? 86. 86. What if I said to you, next year you're going to have a baby? I, I don't think I'd be here. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. Sarah's three years older than Sweet Pea. And she says, you're going, to have an, you're going to have a baby next year. And guess what she did? She did exactly the same thing. She laughed. Now, some people read that and they say, well, she laughed because she was so happy that she was going to have a baby. No. She laughed because she thought it was ridiculous. Because the angel said, <coughs> excuse me, said to Sarah, or said to Abram, why is Sarah laughing? She says, I didn't laugh. She's trying to, trying to cover up. 
Ginger thought she was pregnant in her 50s, and she didn't laugh. She didn't think that was funny at all. So the question is, there's an extreme example. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything. Now, most of us in the room would say, well, no, of course not. But when it comes right down to it in our day-by-day lives, do we really believe that, that nothing is impossible with God? I've said to you several times the, the phrase in the New Testament, the equivalent of is anything too hard for the Lord in the New Testament is nothing is impossible with God. And it literally says no word comes from God without power. That's what that phrase says in the original language. So it's interesting to me that God chooses people in impossible situations, things that seem too difficult. Moses, for example, began his ministry when he was 80. The current example that we're looking at today is you're going to have a baby when you're 90. Then you've got Hannah, you've got Rebecca, you've got Rachel, you've got Elizabeth. <coughs> Excuse me. And all of these women had a child when they were, they were barren. Nobody thought they could have a child, but they did. And it's interesting to me that <coughs> God chooses people that are impossible situations that are inadequate for the task, and he uses them. And if you are adequate, if you do have adequate resources, he'll change the situation so you're in an impossible place and you can't do it. That's not fair, is it? Gideon is an example. He's got 22,000 men, and God says, you got too many, you got too many men to attack that army. Send everybody home that's afraid. So now there's 10,000. <coughs> he said, have them go drink water out of the creek, and depending upon how they drank the water out of the creek, God chose them, now, now there's 300 men. So if, you're, if it's too difficult for you, God can still use you. If you're adequate, he'll make sure you get in a situation where you're inadequate so that you know it's him, it's not you. I think I've mentioned my friend Joe Whitworth. He's one of my best friends for, gosh, 40 years now, I guess. And uh, he and Lena couldn't have a baby, so they adopted two boys. Then they had twins, and then they had another boy, so they had five kids under six years old. Can't even imagine. That's an impossible situation. <laughs> so what are you waiting for? There's a person that I'm praying for right now that it just seems like, oh gosh, this just seems so impossible. How could this ever change? But it can, and I'm going to keep praying for it to change. The second question is, once you receive what you've prayed for for so long, what are you afraid of losing? Once you have it, what are you afraid of losing? So Faith Chapel is the example for me. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and it seemed like things were always impossible and 
they finally happened. And then I thought, a couple of times I thought, gosh, is this going to, is this going to fall apart? So what are you afraid of losing? I may have mentioned this, but I didn't tell you any details about it. When I was uh, a youth, when I was a youth pastor at Evergreen Christian Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, I was mowing the lawn one day, and I I don't remember what was I don't remember if I was praying. I don't remember what was going on, but all of a sudden these thoughts just started bombarding me. First thought that came was you're gonna. You're going to have an opportunity to minister in this church. Then you're going to have an opportunity to minister in the city. You're going to have an opportunity to minister in the state. And these were all just coming at me just really quick. You're going to have an opportunity to minister in the country. And you're going to have an opportunity to minister around the world. And I just stopped. I backed away from the lawnmower and just stopped. I said, Lord, I can't. Those, those thoughts are crazy thoughts. I can't even think about that. But every one of those things came true. If you did, then I thought, you know, Mr. in different places in the world, I thought, oh, that's crazy. That's nuts. But I've had the great privilege to minister in many countries. I hung up. In fact, it's in my office now. My daughter, Kelly, after I retired supposedly from Faith Chapel, she gave me this Dr. Seuss plaque, and it says, Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. <laughs> Isn't that great? So Abram, Abraham waits for 25 years. The son is born. Isaac is his pride and joy. And imagine this little boy growing up year after year after year after year. Now he's 12 years old. And God says, I want you to take your son and go to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the place <clears throat> of the Temple Mount today in Jerusalem. It's the place where, very close by, Jesus was crucified. And he says, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and and offer a sacrifice. And so in chapter 22 of Genesis, it says that early in the morning, I love that, early in the morning, he got up and headed for Moriah. Early in the morning, meaning he was quick to obey. He traveled 48 miles to the Temple Mount. This is a great story. You've got to read it toward Genesis 22. And when they came to the bottom of the mountain, it's more a hill than a mountain, then they left their servants, and Abraham said to them, I'm going to take my son, and we're going to go up on the mountain and worship, and we'll be back. Remember that. We're going to go up on the mountain and worship, and we'll be back. We will return. Hebrews 11, beginning verse 17, says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his only, one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You say, well, it's crazy that God would ask him to sacrifice his son. Well, God didn't ask him to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. So will you trust God when it seems that all is lost? You receive something, seems like you're going to lose it, and then now it's, it seems like it's, it's all lost. Will you trust when it seems like it's over and you've given up? They got up on Mount Moriah and, and, Ab- and Isaac said to Abraham, where's the sacrifice? We always talk about the strong faith of Abraham, but think about Isaac. We get up on the mountain, he says, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide. And then he takes a rope and ties him up. Gets out his knife. Gosh, think about that. Dad, are you really going to kill me? But then... They heard the noise of a ram in a thicket. God did provide the sacrifice. The last moment. Here's one of the lessons in the story. I think I made reference to this maybe during Christmas time. Do you love the gift or the giver of the gift? Talked about my daughter, Kelly. She's my youngest daughter. She's always been a really generous person. She'd give you anything. When she was a little kid, she'd share her, her candy with all the kids in the park. My other daughters would keep theirs. <laughs> Kelly'd give all of hers away. She's always been very generous. So whenever Christmas is coming, I notice that especially during uh, the time of my birthday and Father's Day, which are fairly close together, I know what Kelly's doing. She's looking for a special gift for me. Not just anything. You know, Ginger and I give each other gift certificates. Kelly shops and shops and shops and shops and shops until she can finally find just the right gift. She takes great pride in that. And uh, one year she got me a table for the patio. One year she got me a little refrigerator for the patio. This year she bought me a jacket. Gosh, it's got about 20 pockets in it. For your phone, for your gun, I mean everything. Pockets every place. Well, the answer to this question is obvious, but do you think, do you think I love the gift or the giver? Well, I like the gift. It's nice, but all the thought... All the work that went into that, I know that she does that because she loves me. So let me read again what I read earlier. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Sweet Pea doesn't think she's going to have a baby. And that's how Abraham felt. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
So notice several blanks there. First of all, when there was no hope, Abraham believed. You remember me saying that a few minutes ago. Just write it down. Abraham believed. So I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not. When Ginger and I first moved here, we were living in a rented house. It belonged to a, a, one, of the, one of the parishioners. It was, on, uh, it was on about 8th Street between Central and, no, between Broadwater and Grand. Just a little gray house. And uh, we, didn't have any, we didn't have any income. And I remember the anxiety and the anguish that we were both experiencing in that period of time. It was like, God, are we going to make it? And I remember this because it was a Wednesday night service. There were 19 people there. Two days before that, I was just anguishing. So was Ginger. Ginger drove home praying. So I drove up in front of the house, and Ginger came running out the door, and she said, Stan, Stan, God just gave me a word. I said, get in the car and tell me about it. It was Isaiah chapter 54. You can read that later, but it's a great promise about a barren one bearing many children. And we believed the Lord, and we just started weeping. Driving down the street, weeping. We're going to make it. We're going to make, God's, God's with us. We're going to make it. So I thought, well, I want to share that as a word of encouragement to the church on Wednesday night. So there were 19 people there. And I, I stood up to tell the story. And I, I, when it came to reading the scripture, I couldn't read the scripture. I just started crying. I couldn't read it. I was so emotional about it. So I asked another man to stand up and read the scripture. And we believed the Lord. Now, trust me, it seemed impossible. 19 people, and God's going to bring this flourishing work. We believed it so much that I was walking up the street one day from that house. I was walking up Broadwater uh, West, and I saw the shrine auditorium over to my right, and I just felt like the Lord says, you're going you're gonna to be there. You know, 20 people, and here's this huge building. You're going to be there. But I believed him. And as it turned out, the shrine wasn't big enough. We, we did meet there two or three times on Easter, but wasn't big enough. Believe the Lord. Believe the Lord for the best. Secondly, Abraham faced the facts. The, the example I always use is probably a poor example, but people are always praying for healing. And they say, well, I'm healed. You know, I don't have a cold, but I'm healed. I think, baloney, you're not. Believe for it, but you're not. Face the facts. Don't deny reality. Abraham was not double-minded. Double-minded means you believe and then you don't believe. You believe and you don't believe. You believe and you don't believe. You're vacillating back and forth. Well, yes, but no. He wasn't double-minded. I always thought Carl Wolf, my administrator, I loved him. We worked together for years and have high respect for each other. I always thought Carl was double-minded because we'd think and we'd think and we'd think and we'd think and we'd make up our mind. And then he'd come back the next day and say, we need to think some more. And no, <laughs> let's, let's be single-minded about this. Talking about someone who's praying, he says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. 
because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he does. And then Abraham was fully persuaded. And the, way, the way I think about that is if, if you're here and absolute faith is there, he, didn't believe, he, did, he wasn't persuaded 25%. He wasn't persuaded 50%. He wasn't persuaded 75%. He was 100% persuaded God is able to do what he promised he'd do. And he's the example to us of faith. And then the last blank there is faith and hope triumphed over doubt and fear. We all have challenges of doubt and fear. Last week and then the week before, both, I was sitting at home and all of a sudden this anxiety came over me. And so I went out on the patio and started praying and faith and hope triumphed over doubt and fear. Have you given up on something? Have you given up on something that you believe the Lord said to you? Can you find it in yourself to believe again? One of the real irritations to me in our day is that people think, I've got to get to this person with great faith, and if they pray for me, you know, whatever's going to happen. And I'm just going to say, it's not about a person. It's not about getting to a person with great faith. In fact, there's no such thing as little faith and big faith. Faith is like the all-or-none principle with a nerve. When it reacts, it reacts 100% totally. So either you believe or you don't believe. It's not little or big, it's you believe or you don't believe. Will you trust Him? And I put on the outline, I think it's on, on there. We are trusting, we're not trusting in our great faith, we are trusting in our great God. Faith message people, so often you think they're trusting in their faith. If, I, if my faith can get big enough, it'll happen. No, we're trusting in the great God. So I want you to bow your heads again just for a moment. And there, everybody's heads are bowed. Is there anything that you're praying for that you've kind of wavered on, you've kind of given up on? If you, would, you, would you just slip up your hand if that's true of you? Lord God, this morning, you've spoken some things to us that may seem impossible, but Lord, all things are possible with you. I hold that situation that I'm praying for up to you, Lord. You know that person I'm thinking about right now. It seems impossible, but Lord, I pray that you would invade, that you would invade that person's life and stir, kindle, hope, and salvation in her life. Lord, for the many people this morning who believe you've spoken to them and they've started to waver, maybe time has passed, maybe it just seems too big, would you pour out your Spirit upon them today and rekindle their faith, Lord, rekindle their hope, 
their confident expectation in you. Give them a joy about that, the joy of expectancy, anticipation of what you're going to do. And Lord, help us in faith see that situation as accomplished, as done. No word comes from God without power, so give us the power to believe for what you've said would happen. If there's anybody here this morning who hasn't received Christ, I don't know if that's true of anyone here or not, but if you haven't, would you this morning just raise your hand and say, um, you don't need to say anything out loud, but just your hand raised would say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ today. I'm receiving him as my Lord and Savior today. Amen, Lord. All of us, in, in one sense, raise our hands and say, we love you. We put our faith in you. Stir our hearts with joy, Lord, and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we